back and welcome to the season finale of season six of the One Broke Actress podcast. I am your host, Sam Valentine, and I am so excited to bring you episode 12 today. Man, when we started this season, it was because I was really, really bored in quarantine and I needed a project. And it turned out to be one of my favorite seasons, I think, of the entire podcast. We are not done. We are not nearly done. We actually have at least one bonus episode coming out in the next couple of weeks. But I just wanted to thank you guys so much for, you know, using this as some quarantine content. I hope that you got one or two things out of it. I hope you rated and reviewed it in the process. Um, But it has been a real pleasure to connect with you guys at this time I think that we need each other now more than ever. If you go back and listen to some of these podcast episode intros from this season, you'll see that I was on an emotional roller coaster, and I know you all were too. And I'm really glad that we actually have that in the time capsule, so to speak, to reflect on later. But um, the things I've learned and the skills I've picked up from casting directors, from agents, from managers, from other amazing actors this podcast season have been priceless and I just have to thank you guys for listening along the way. Today we have a really really special episode and I couldn't think of a better way to end this particular season than with Sadia Rashid and Brie Ely. These beautiful beautiful black female actresses came on the podcast to have a roundtable discussion with me and you're gonna hear in this week's episode I don't do a lot of talking. Uh, I try to do as much listening as possible because these amazing women really opened their hearts to me and shared a lot of experiences they've had in and out of sets, on auditions, all over this industry, from the top down, from hair and makeup trailers to um, working in actual scenes to so much more. And I can't thank them enough for being so open and honest with me. This episode is so important to listen to, especially if you are someone who is trying to learn as much as possible about allyship right now. They really, really talk about, you know, how the industry has been trying to catch up to them this whole time they've been waiting and yet their accommodations still are not being met. So we have a long way to go and we have a lot to learn, but I couldn't ask for more from today's guests. So I'm going to stop talking and without further ado, please enjoy Sadia Rashid and Brie Ely. We are up and recording. So can I have you guys introduce yourselves first by saying your full name so the audience can also recognize you um, by your voice? Sure. I'm Sadia Rashid. And hello, I'm Brie Ely. Yay. And I have never met these ladies in person. This is all internet connections. uh, And they they decided to spend some time with us today. They decided to give you guys our time. So we're super grateful to have you guys here. Um, We have a lot to talk about. And uh, and we're going to do it with three people on a call on Zoom. And I think we can manage it because we're all goddamn professionals. That's right. Thank you for having us, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, Happy to be a part of this. This is going to be great. (laughs) Uh, So will you guys both just give me a little background so we know um, what you do as an artist and kind of like what your focus is and where you live? Okay. Um, I don't know, Brie, you want to go or I go? I can can share some stuff. Um, I'm originally from Texas. 
I am a theater nerd at heart, went to school in New York, studied abroad, worked at regional theaters and started doing more work with developing stories. So that led to independent film and sketch comedy. And that also led to producing my own stories with friends, either in the early days of, days of YouTube, and then it became like actual like producing things. And so it was nice to kind of blend all those worlds when I moved out to LA and have been here primarily in the world as an actor, but I've also produced work. I worked um, in branded series entertainment. And now when the stars align, I do commercials <laughs> and sketch <laughs> comedy. And my last film that I produced was a winner through a film festival and had a distribution deal through Viacom. So I, I wear all the hats. Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> wear them all, girl. Wear them all. Um, Sadia here. I, um, like Brie, I'm also from Texas, Dallas. Woo! Yeah. I went to a, growing up, I went to a performing arts high school. So I danced throughout high school, throughout college um, with smatterings of acting. And then um, after um, I graduated, I was like, you know what, I want to, I want to focus on acting and hence my travel, my, um, my journey to LA started. And for the most part here in Los Angeles, a lot of commercial work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did a lot of sketch comedy also. That's actually how I met my husband. Um, and I was in a sketch comedy group an all black sketch comedy group for about eight years called slow children crossing. Um, we're no longer together anymore, but I got a husband and a kid out of it. So everything's all good. Um, and you can still find some of the stuff if you search it on YouTube, because YouTube is now like what the new, um, what's that old thing? Uh, I can't time remember. capsule? Yeah, it's like a time capsule now. Um, I mean, it's new stuff, but a lot of old stuff. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of where I live. I am a burgeoning writer. Um, that's my new focus the past year. So, uh, yeah, but where I live is acting where, I, where my career lives is for right now there in commercials and in TV. And you just got started in podcasting, right? Yeah. Yes, I did. I just started a podcast during this quarantine called that one blank friend, um, and I, I was actually inspired from the podcast from something that happened, um, about a year and a half ago when a friend of mine, to get political a quick second, told me she had voted for Trump and she didn't seem like the type, quote unquote, at all, um, and, and very feminist. And I was like, we got to explore, like, what was the, what was going on, like, for you? I just wanted to know. Um, so that podcast, it kind of got me thinking about, Peep the people in my lives, the friends in my life, and the journeys that have they've had to bring them to where they are today. So um, the podcast is, has a lot of different, really cool, interesting people that are also my friends. Um, and I just finished the first season, and I'm very excited to delve into the season two. <laughs> awesome! Yay. I was going to say that sometimes people are overwhelmed when you say like, oh, but I also do this and do this and do this. So I like to say that I step out into the world first as an actor, and then along the way have brought these other things into the room with me. And right. a lot of it comes out of the way that you want to be able to facilitate other people's growth as far as like, I'll produce so that I can make sure that you get your thing going, 
or I'll write it so that I know that I can also have something to show off my acting. So it's always in service to just telling that first story of loving characters and stories. Hmm, I love that. I, uh, I really, I, I initially, um, reached out to Saudia because I, I want to make sure I say your name, right? Saudia, oh, right? That's, that's correct. Okay, Saudia. Yes. Thank you. Um, I wanted to initially reach out because uh, I reached out on a Facebook group and I asked because I really wanted to have a, a group discussion about, um, everything that's happened for millions of years before this, but especially right now, everything's highlighted um, about everything happening with Black Lives Matter, everything that we haven't talked about for forever in racism in the media. And so, you know, I'd love if you guys don't mind, I know we just met, but I'd love to to jump right in if you guys are, are game with starting the tip of that discussion. Put on my swimsuit. <laughs> <laughs> We're ready. We're ready. Okay, great. Um, so I, w- I would be curious what your guys' experience are in specific to acting in your, in your moving from both of you from Texas to LA. Um, did you feel like the move was, uh, was easier for you? Do you feel like it was more difficult? Because I know that based on what, what city and what part of Texas you were in, it could be very, very, very different. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll dial in that I'm in, I'm from Sugarland, which is right outside of Houston. Mm-hmm. And unbeknownst to many people, Houston has an incredibly rich performing arts scene, um, museums, cuisine, like it really runs the gamut. And then right outside the door, <laughs> down the road, you've got horses, <laughs> you've got people walking around with no shoes on, you know, so there's a nice little blend. But I went to New York first. And my eyes had, al- had always been set on going to New York. I watched Love Us Take Manhattan and was like, I'm going. And <laughs> I uh, love that that was the movie really quick. That then. was it. <laughs> I was like, that's it. Ooh. Between that and fame, it was over. So my first trek was always going that way. But because my parents were so um, dedicated to exposing my sister and I to, to different parts of culture, I took classes in, at the Museum of Fine Arts. I danced for years. We would go to um, the performing arts, like musical theater places to like watch shows. And I did musical theater. So the blend of being in a space that was about welcoming people and it being diverse was always a part of my experience. And then to go to New York, which was the center of so much, um, I don't know, flavor. It just felt like a natural like step up into that. Coming to LA, it's harder to find that culture, but it's there. And I think that the idea that you are expected to step into only one version of life in LA is unfortunate because the I feel like New York was saying, go here, go there, do a little Italy, go to the Bronx, go to Coney Island. And here, it seems like only go to that one thing. You're only gonna go to sketch comedy. You're only gonna go to commercials. You're only gonna go to, you know, I don't know. Like, do you, am I, am I making sense? No, that I, that you I, have to, like, there was I, a blend, an encouraged blend before and here there maybe there isn't as much one. Yeah. I, my, although I didn't, I didn't go to New York. I only spent like a short time there, um, a, a summer, but, um, I would say my experience is pretty similar. Um, growing up in Dallas, starting out as a dancer and doing theater, I felt like I was really exposed to a lot of different worlds and genres of Mm -hmm. arts. 
um, you know, going to a performing arts high school, I had the luxury of like having different people come and visit and show you something that maybe you would have not known. And a lot of those people that came, they were from New York or they were from Los Angeles, they were from, you know, other places in the same when I went to college, when I went to uh, UT Austin, Hook'em Horns. Um, <laughs> had to drop that in. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so I, I feel like I got a, I got a real, um, I had a really global perspective on yeah. what my career was, like what it could be. And then you move to Los Angeles and it feels like you have to pick a lane. It feels it, I, you know, like Brie was saying, compared to New York, there's this energy there that is like, oh, you know what, you can, you can do a little of this and a little bit of that. And it's, it doesn't uh, tamper or it doesn't, um, it, it doesn't dilute who you are. And I think there's this idea being in Los Angeles that, oh, if you're a theater actor, oh, really? Oh, you're just doing like 99 C, C theater. Or mm -hmm. if you are doing commercials, like, oh, well, I don't, you know, I know some people I've heard that like, I don't want to do commercials. Like, I want to be on TV. And it's like, well, maybe you need to know that a lot of people that do TV and film right now, those directors are doing commercials. So guess what? Guess where you get to meet them. Yeah. So I, but I feel like there's this overall idea when you move here that people really want you to narrow the lane and pick a yeah. lane, stay in that lane so they can define who you are quickly. As a person and as a, as a person in the entertainment business. Right? Yes. Yes. Now, I also, I did the, the British American Drama Program at Oxford, and they had the most incredible teachers from around the world. Um, one of their big things was, an actor is an actor is an actor. You better go do that BBC movie one week. You better be on at the National Theater the next week. You better be in that film. And I'd love to see that, you know, you narrating that, you know, a television special, whatever. But this idea that your career was going to be based on you just sharing your abilities and not doing it in a particular way or in a particular medium. And I think, you know, pre-economic crash, people were like, oh, I will only do this. I will only do that. And now you're going to show up as the guest star. You might show up in that commercial eating that thing because people have realized that the work is the work. But it's just funny that that was definitely not the way that I thought of my career beforehand until I kind of saw how the industry was uh, setting that up for people here in LA. Yeah, I do think it is really different. You know, I had the same thing when I graduated college. I, I thought, you know, maybe one day I'll do a commercial and I'm like, please, I'll take a prescription, like anything. I'll do actually anything. Um, so it's funny how fast that changes. But I do think right. there is a push to put people in a box. And I'm, I'm really curious if that changed how you viewed yourself or how did you come to terms with that and living into LA? Because putting yourself into one thing, I've always been told it makes it easier, but sometimes I feel like it makes it harder because it puts more pressure on the one thing. I'm curious of your thoughts. Well, I'd say for me, um, I, I think it made it hard because when I moved here to Los Angeles, there was, um, for, for being a black actress, there were a lot of certain aesthetically things that were, that you had to appeal to. 
Like if you, if you were going to be on TV, you had to have weave, you had to have extensions. Um, you had to look appealing to a white audience. You had to look appealing to what, uh, you know, the, the, the gatekeeper, so to speak, would see would be as appealing to overseas. And so when I first moved here, there was a lot of pressure of that, of like, oh, well, you're just, you just have your hair or, <laughs> you know, you just, you're, you're a little darker skin and, you know, <laughs> like Brie last, but it's like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, what are you going to do with it? You know? So I <laughs> think that there's a lot this? of, I don't, yeah, like, what do you do with your hair? There was a lot mm -hmm. of pressure to uh, conform in that sense. Mm -hmm. And for me personally, I feel like my career really took off when I stopped trying to conform to that. Um, like, I remember the moment when I decided that I wasn't going to wear extensions anymore. And a little background on the extensions, because I think it's important. I, as my part-time job at the time, I was a belly dancer. And... Um, That's amazing, by the way. <laughs> uh, sidebar, episode and, two. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so with that world, like long hair, that aesthetic is everything. So when mm -hmm. I started doing it, I was like, yeah, bring it on. Bring on all the weave. I'm, I'm going to like do it. And so when I left that world and I was like, you know what, I want to take my acting career to the next level. Like I, it was a conscious effort to dismiss that. And I, and again, I'm not saying that if you are a black woman and you're sitting here and you have weaving your hair, you wear a wig. I'm sitting in a closet right now. I got like 20 wigs in here. Um, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but <laughs> What I am saying is that for me- Nothing wrong with wigs, girl. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with wigs. There's nothing. I love them all day long. Um, but for me to not have to go to an audition and to show up as me without nothing, without feeling like I have to wear more makeup or have to you know, wear this hair, it was very vulnerable and also very freeing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I started- going when I went natural um that's for me commercially when it like really shot off for me um and it was like oh oh this is like you know the the industry hasn't caught up to this yet but they're open to it and I think there's an idea of like sometimes you know as a person of color you kind of wait for the industry to catch up to you and sometimes you have to you have to do a little pushing like what's happening in the world now and you have to show them that you are already there and they need to meet you where you are. That's, mm -hmm. Oh, it's such a good sound bite. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean <laughs> um, I, I thought about this a while back when I was living in New York. Um, one of the girls that I went to, went to high school with became a news anchor in the Dallas area and she was wearing her hair naturally. And got a little bit of flack from the local watchers being like, well, that doesn't look professional. And it's like, what does professional look like? And I remember telling my friend, and I had been wearing my hair whatever way I want, I want it that day, but I was like, I feel like if I'm gonna show up in something and it's about it being me, then I'm gonna come in as much as me as I can. Now, if I'm going into a role where it's gonna be a part of like, it, 
ex this is an extension of my of my character's personality in the same way that their clothing is and how they talk then let's really explore and make this a choice every step of the way because each of these things is telling someone uh, you know a different part of their story so it became a part of like how does this character fully exist and the hair being a part of that uh so that was like my little like click over moment as far as like how i what i do in my own time versus what i do as i'm preparing for something and when i started doing more television as i came here there was a expectation around consistency my twist out day one is not twist out day five. Oh yeah you know <laughs> so my way of, of helping with that was putting my hair into crochet braids so i felt like i could still continue my look and texture and that it still felt like me but that it was also now something that would be more consistent for the sake of filming and also in case the person wasn't as knowledgeable as on the procedures of black hair as they could be yeah i was gonna say that whole <laughs> you know but that was my little workaround now the fact that i need to pay out of pocket to do so i'd love to have that go toward my union dues i don't know i don't know but you know that there's a <laughs> but that's a part of like those little things that you figure out along the way because i still felt like i can be professional no matter how the head you know how it comes out of my head this is that's not an extension of what my professionalism is uh but i also want to make sure that i can show up each day and make my character feel and look the same way i, I can't wait for the movie one day where we show the girl having different hairstyles throughout the whole time like you know if time is actually progressing in a film it might not look the same way just just as something putting it out there <laughs> i think this is really important actually because there's something about um there's a the hollywood aesthetic that has been like very much tied up in women especially but i don't think it's often talked enough about in black women and i think that the 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 those conversations i've been privileged enough to have that people have opened up to me about have had crazy experiences like on set with people who had no idea how to do their hair and who like has have i mean things i probably would have sued, sued someone over but like i think i had a friend who almost went bald uh because oh. they they tried to to uh do some chemical straightening thing to her hair on set uh and the person had no idea what they were doing. So um, I'm, I'm curious what your experiences on set have been it, to do with aesthetic things, whether it be hair or body image, that kind of a thing. Well, I've had, um, you know, good and bad experiences. I, for me, I think that um, most of my really good experiences have been on sets where the people in makeup and hair have been primarily black women or black people. And for me, it sucks that it has to be that because so many more times have I been in a situation where that person has not been a person of color and you kind of feel um, a little, I guess, disenfranchised. Like I've had experiences where one time they, they for a commercial, all the advertisers sat around and stared at my hair and like I'm sitting in a room and they just stare at my hair and they talk about me like I'm not there like what should we do with our hair can you do your hair any other way <sighs> and what was really interesting about this is that the copy you know the um, storyboard at the audition 
was a picture. It was drawn, but it was like an animated picture of a black woman with the exact hair I had. <laughs> like they had, they had made her into an Afro. So the people, the advertising people sat around and they were like, oh, what can we do with her hair? Can we do anything else? What, what can we do? And I remember the director walking in and they were like, what do you think she should be doing with her hair? And he goes, yeah, I think we just keep it the way it is. That's what it looks like on the storyboard. And they were like, oh, like oh, it was a such idea. a, a idea. novel yeah. idea. It's revolutionary. <laughs> yeah, it was so revolutionary. It was like, didn't, isn't that what you guys wanted? It was on the storyboard. So I've had a lot of um, situations like that. I've had situations where, you know, you, you, I've actually been put in whiteface. It was for a print job. Um, and it was downtown and they, it was a very old building. They didn't have a lot of mirrors. And for some reason they decided not to give the makeup people mirrors. And, um, <laughs> the girl was, I had my makeup with me and she was like, no, 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 I'm going to use my own. I didn't find out that the foundation that she used was like three shades lighter than my face until a couple hours later. And when I found a mirror in the building and I was like, why didn't anybody tell me? And it made sense because all these people were kind of staring at me on set like, huh, we don't know, but it's just, it's just weird. We're just going to let it, you know, we'll use lighting. And I was like, I was fuming. Like I, I couldn't believe that they would even, that they wouldn't even bring me back to makeup and be like, can you adjust Ooh. her face? So yeah, I've had some, I've had some real interesting things on set. Now, adversely, um, the really great end of it, when I recently, uh, not so recently, it was like two years ago, but like when I was on the set of uh, Dolomite Is My Name on Netflix, the yeah. whole makeup crew, all Black people. And, you know, I think a lot of people, if you are not a person of color or if you don't have to deal with your hair in that sense, this seems like a really small thing, but to come into a room and to not feel like you have to apologize for your hair in a way or, or give them a little rundown of how your hair works mm. or how your foundation works, how they should cover up this blemish because, you know, because your skin tonally may be darker in one area and lighter and like all that stuff, Girl. it makes you feel so good. It, as that an, extra work, right? Yes, it's, it's just extra work extra on your work. end. And it makes you, when you go, when you show up to set, like when I showed up to set, I felt like I was, I felt like I was number three on the call list. I'm not going to say number one or two because number one was Eddie Murphy, but you know, <laughs> I, felt, I felt good. Like it made me feel like they really, they really took care of me because they, in that type of care, I feel like, you know, a lot of actors get on set on a, on a regular basis and it's taken for granted. And just understand that a lot of people of color in particular, especially black women, don't get that on set. We're starting to, but there's still a gap. There's still a way to go. Well, because that leaves you to do other people's jobs when you're there to do the job you're supposed your to job. do. It just yes. adds to it. Is, is bringing makeup, to your own makeup, something you regularly do? Oh yeah. I never leave with that. No, uh-uh. I'm gonna be honest with you. It's something I've, I've never done. No, that's, that's a, a blessing for you. Um, I would definitely bring the makeup only because some, 
sometimes you're like, I love this color, but not underneath my earth tones. You know, yeah. it doesn't necessarily like translate. Uh, I also had a great experience on set when I was working on the mayor, the short lived oh, RIP. Yeah. Um, but not only was the makeup trailer, you know, United Colors of Bennington led by a black woman, but the entire cat, like the, the crew, Got a woman, a DP on the camera. I have pe people of different abilities working around on the set, different ages. It was so, I, I, my mind was blown. I still think about how I was shocked at how shocked I was of it, that it, it shouldn't be some rare thing to walk in and see that kind of representation, that inclusion on a set. But also when you do feel that taken care of, when, is that when you start to shine? Would you have ever seen that level of, of performance and greatness from people? Have we missed out on that because they were too busy having to take care of all of that other gunk behind them? Yes. I, maybe there was a Merle Street before, but she had to worry about her hair and getting her wig on right. You know, like where was that space for them to start to step into the most transformative, you know, earth shattering version of that character? when they had to also make sure that they brought the other colors that day or that they made sure that the pants that they wore would get over their hips because God bless them with hips. Like, what do you do? <laughs> you know, like there's, there's all these different things that have not been um, thought of about how we welcome in these other voices and looks into, you know, Hollywood. And then when someone does get in, they have to take that time and energy to make sure that they can actually be there in the first place. It isn't one thing just to say like, oh, here you go. But how do I actually accommodate your uniqueness in this new space? Right. There's not a lot of thought about how that actually gets addressed. I know for a lot of people listening, it might just seem odd that a lot of the focus is about hair and makeup. But I think you have to un also understand the history of entertainment in this country. Um, if you even just look to music and musical acts going way back to the to the 20s and 30s, there was this idea of really, I think it really actually started more in the 40s and 50s, but there was this idea of the crossover artists. A black person had to have not just appeal in their community, but in other communities, the mainstream quote unquote community, which was the white community. And there were certain things that were needed. You had to straighten your hair. You had to dress a certain way. You had to talk a certain way. You had to sing a certain way. For example, if you go back and listen to uh, Ella Fitzgerald, the jazz singer during that time, her voice sounds different when she is singing to largely white audiences than it does sometimes when she's speaking to singing for a black audience and that's because she had to create a crossover appeal it affected her art so for me to come on set and to first off know that at some point I am up against this idea of having crossover appeal and that my hair it's a whole statement in itself and that it could some people could feel attacked by it that's something that black women have to deal with a lot and it doesn't stop when we show up to a set, especially if that person is not well-versed in doing our hair and doing our makeup. So it is important to us because 
from the beginning, that's I'm creating my character. I'm creating a sense of who I am in that world when I come on set with my hair and my makeup. And if they can't add to that, then it's a problem. If they if they are offended by that, it's it's one of the reasons why, you know, right now, California instituted the Crown Act. If you haven't heard about it, uh, the Crown Act is... It, the acronym stands for Create a Respectful and Open Workplace for Natural Hair Act. And it's an actual law that prevents discrimination based on hairstyles and hair texture um, in California because a lot of black women who are in uh, professional environments and business have to deal with that, with the hair that grows out of their head. You know, that's crazy. But that just goes to show that our beauty has just so many different things attached to it. Our beauty is a political statement in itself because as a black person, you are in this nation, in the United States, a walking political statement. I said that before. I think I'll say it again. Because of that, it is important to us how we feel represented and how we feel our beauty is represented and also respected in those places. And if I go to a set and a person doesn't know how to do my hair or puts it on me or uh, tells me, you know, you know, automatically wants to put me in a wig because they don't know how to do my hair, then that makes me feel like I am not seen. It makes me feel invisible. If I come to set and you don't even have the bother to have the right foundation color for me then it means you don't even see me. You you have decided that I don't exist in this world. And that is that may seem to a lot of people just really simplistic because it's just about makeup, but it's not just about makeup. It's about representation and representation on all fronts and really being seen out there. I love that. This is this is okay, this is this is the conversation I wanted to have. So Right? Like how, so you both felt more comfortable when it was a, a diverse set, when there was perhaps a, at least one black person in the hair and makeup trailer. Like these are, this is not that earth shattering of like a thing to get done, especially for these bigger budget things. So I, I want to say it's almost like there's an, an ease because now you know that you're not maybe going to have to focus as much on watching that other part of it. Yes, right. exactly. it's one less thing for me to also be checking on. Yeah. And that, I mean, it shouldn't be the freest you can feel, right? It's what you're saying. The right. freest you can feel is when it's not, it's like one thing taken out of the equation, right? It's the best part about being on a really good set when, when you know, someone's keeping an eye on your hair. So you can just do whatever you feel in the moment and then someone will come back and reset it. Right. It's just the right. best. Or I was on one of my first things I did, the, there was a person who was like, Oh, Brie, do you want some tea? Can we get Brie some tea? Do you want like a chamomile? Was it an Earl, Earl Grey? It's an Earl Grey for Brie. Can we get, I was like, huh? me taking care of? And that was over tea. Now, can you imagine what it would be if it was actually about you doing the work that would show up on screen? Come on. I love that. <laughs> I think everyone should be, well, the, that's a whole nother conversation. It about was tea. People drink. It was tea. <laughs> Yeah, it and really makes a difference even from the bottom up. Like we're just talking about, um, you know, hair and makeup because yeah. normally when you go to set, that's like the first place you go. Mm -hmm. But like even 
um, when you're on a set and, you know, maybe the one of the ADs or the first AD is of color or it's a director of color, you know, uh, it's, you know, when I worked on Scandal, like that was another great experience for me because I went to the makeup trailer and I'll never forget it um, because it was my first co-star. Um, yeah. But I sat I sat there and the lady was doing my hair and then Carrie Washington sat down next to me and she was, she turned around and she could have ignored me. She could have, but she turned around and really, you could tell she really valued her responsibility as being number one on the call sheet the entire time I was there. Like she turned around to me and she was like, hi, I'm Carrie. And I want to be like, I know who you are. <laughs> but just those little things also seeing a black woman for me number one on the call sheet you know best believe I was taking notes the entire day of how she um how she navigated that set how she got people excited how um she talked to the producer how she talked to the director you know how she talked to the the background people in the room she made everybody feel seen and a part of the conversation mm. and I think some folks don't want to try yeah yeah and some people don't want to try and I think every set you go to has the potential to be that um even if we're not even if it's not about necessarily color but I think having a diverse group allows it to go there even faster do you remember the first time you worked with a woman director on a set I had been in it for a minute and I, I remember walking on and I was like, oh my gosh. Um, I got to spend a week on Two Broke Girls, worked with this fabulous director named Jude Wang. And it was like, oh my gosh, wow. She brought in home, now not everybody's a cook, I understand, <laughs> but she, she decided to bring in, you know, these dried seaweed crisps that she made with her kids. Just like little things along the way. I, I was excited to see also how she navigated that space and commanded that space in a respectful and open way. Like there's these little things that were, you noted them, they were noted. They were tucked away into a little happy place because it's just something so rare to see. Um, I look forward to working with a woman on a commercial set as a director, so, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I just did this year, I just did this year. This yep. year. And, and last year I auditioned for the very first time commercially for a black director, a black male director. That was the, I mean, I've been doing, I feel like I've been doing commercials like eons and that was the first time so much that I had to read. I had to like track him down on Instagram and be like, this is the first time I can't believe I, you know, and it, it, it's so rare. Like even the fact that I've, the first time I've worked with a woman director in commercials this year, I, that's yeah. ridiculous to me. You know, yeah, I've, I've worked with women in television, but in commercial, I feel like that world is director wise is so still dominated by, you know, white males. It's, it needs to be broken up and really needs to, we need to break up the status quo there for sure. I want to bring this conversation around to, you're talking about like what makes a good set for you. I'm very curious how, the process getting to set. I'm curious about your experiences in the audition room because I've had a lot of 
actors talk to me about, we've been chatting about, especially with um, all of the protests going on and all of the amazing part of the movements that are happening around us. We've been talking a lot about uh, the way, especially white actors have said things like, oh, I don't have a chance right now because they're going to go diverse. Oh, you know, no one's going to see me on their roster. They're looking for diversity. So let's crack that open. (laughs) All right. Let me tell you this though, as as an actress who has had some, you know, wins in the commercial department, a lot of the times it's based on comedy stuff and the timing and life of comedy has primarily been from a white point of view. So in a way, the expectation is that if I'm going to hit these beats and make it work, it'll be because it's going to be a, a, am I making sense? Like it's going to be because I have found the timing that will work for this community, whoever's taking it in, which is usually gonna be a white community. So they wanna make it funny, but it's gonna be like white funny? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it yeah, has- it's, it's funny like, like Midwest funny. <laughs> yes, and that usually will be, um, so you gotta make sure that you're, you're aware of what those rhythms are, even if they're not necessarily the own internal rhythms of how you might have comedy. And right. that, that goes across any person of color. I think you should be aware of what is the humor and style of this brand. What have I seen them do before? What timing did they do? Are they about having people that are more subtle? Or do they like the big like guffaw kind of humor? So that way you're ready to go. So if you need to turn on something or turn down something, it's not a surprise when you get into the room. You need to know the humor of the brand. And sometimes it might be a little bit of a switch over it is something that has a little bit more or a little less color to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but, <laughs> but that, that that's complete been, sense. That's been a, and as far as someone saying that they're, they're upset because it went diverse, I don't know how to help you with that. Talk to your therapist. This is, this is our world. It, that has been the world. These, there are different makeups of people. And why shouldn't our media reflect that? I've been thinking a lot about that, that statement of someone and another actress or actor saying, oh, they went diverse or I didn't get it because it went to so-and-so, you know, a East Indian person or a black person or an Asian person, what have you. It reminds me of, I would say about two years ago, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, a really old friend of mine. And we were talking about acting and a friend of hers, a white girl, she was talking about her and she mentioned that she was having a hard time getting out. And I was like, oh, why? And she was like, well, you know, because everything's going diverse now. Like she's just having a really, really hard time. And that statement really stung for a couple of reasons. It stung because... Personally, I felt like my journey felt it was, it felt invisible because up until that point, me being her friend, she had seen me struggle and had seen my journey as a black actress trying to get out there, trying to get management, trying to get an agent, just trying to audition. And it felt that my journey was a little bit invisible and erased and I would say the reason why is because my journey up until that point 
had been exactly what this white girl had been experiencing of like not being able to get out because of the quote unquote diversity. And what I saw on that was that it's for me being in this industry, I've seen waves of awareness with representation. The waves are coming a little bit faster, I feel like in the past five years, but I've seen this before. But what's interesting to me about the idea of, you know, a white person saying that they went diverse or I didn't get it because they went diverse. That journey is the journey of so many people. It's the journey of a lot of black people, the journey of many different marginalized communities in this industry that don't get to audition or get the roles that they might want. And I just think it's an interesting thing to say because you have to realize the privilege in that statement. Number one, that now because diversity is included, somehow your journey is more important than mine. Because if you think about that, when you say that, that it went diverse, you haven't had to think about what other people's journey has been. You haven't had to think about, you know, your black friend who had a hard time getting an agent because there were times where we weren't as marketable. And so I think what we have to realize is that as artists, we are all in this together and that the concern should be for everybody. It shouldn't be just because it is focused on you. Just because now the tables have turned, that now somehow it's important. Uh, this was always important. People of color were always fighting for this and always felt invisible because our journey was not represented and not respected. And so in that statement, I think you have to understand that the opportunities for a black person in this industry are harder to come by. And so booking, you know, one job in a year that may that might specifically call for all ethnicities, that is a success. And honestly, to attach the fact that someone got a job just because they went diverse, it kind of dampens the the art that was also put into it, because you have to think about the other coin of it. There are so many reasons in this in this business that people book and don't book. Sometimes does it have to deal with race? Absolutely. A lot of times it doesn't. So as a white person to say that you didn't get a job or dismiss it as you didn't get something or some you were passed because of the diversity, I think you have to sort of really sit back and check yourself and 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 um, really do some invest and really do some investigation about the journey of other people and also your journey and how we can all be in this together and also just really investigate, you know, where does that come from? Where does that that specific statement of erasing someone the whole thing is just a knock. It is a knock on someone else's talent to say that. And it dismisses the work that they've done up until that point. For me, as an actress, I know that there have been certain roles that 
I have not been able to audition for because they have been for a white person specifically. Or, you know, I auditioned with other ethnicities and they gave it to a white person. I've never attached the fact that they were white to that job because I don't know that for sure. Although I know that their opportunities are greater than mine, I don't, I don't use that as an attack on their talent because it could have just been they were more talented. And I think you have to leave space for that conversation and really investigate in yourself why it's so important to attach the diversity component to that statement and what that says about you. And it doesn't mean that it says something completely bad or completely good. It just means that it deserves more investigation of how you view the world and the sense of lack that comes out of that. And why does it threaten you that a marginalized community is finally getting the recognition and the opportunities that they deserve and should be getting? You know, we are not represented in the world as much as other people are, as white people are. And so I think you have to investigate why that feels threatening. See, that was the nice version of what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Can we also, but also before you start to get upset, make sure that you're looking at Deadline and the Hollywood Reporter and Variety and seeing what projects are being greenlit. See who's being announced in these roles. And maybe you won't be as <laughs> concerned about it because it, what, what you think is happening isn't necessarily always what's happening when it comes to how our industry is supporting and distributing and fostering new voices. I oftentimes feel like I'm still seeing the same five people. I'm still seeing you know, deals being announced and I'm like, well, how many of those producers this year how many overall deals have we actually seen? Where are the executives on this, this board or on this, uh, at this company that actually tells me that we're going to see something change as far as when it comes way, way, way down the pipeline to its casting process? And so. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think too, uh, collectively as artists, our goal is to just tell stories and aren't we so bored of the stories? <laughs> like, I, I mean, it is, it is called show business, you know, they, they didn't call it show art. They call it show business. <laughs> I, uh, we, we, uh, we talked a little bit in our, in our emails back and forth about what we also wanted to help highlight today in, um, nice siren, not my, I love my, um, in becoming an ally as an actor instead of, so we're changing, changing the conversation of, instead of saying something like I had a, uh, a really lovely person write into me and say something to the effect of, you know, instead of saying, oh, they went diverse, say, you know, a, a person of color was cast because that was the story, you know, like not putting diverse as like the big overarching word. Cause he was like, it just sounds like white is the automatic go-to whereas, Oh, they went diverse means like they went something other than white. He's like, it's or like there's two went, boxes. They went to something else. They went yeah. another direction. That's yeah. it. That's fine. You don't have to say that a person of color got the role because it was needed for the story. Maybe they just wanted that person because the essence of them was better fit for that character. Uh, 
you know. And, you know, you touched on something, Sam. You you said, uh, I can't remember how you just said it, but something about um, going white because that's what they normally do. And I think um, as a white actor, I think you have to look um, at your world and know that you've lived in a world where being white has been the default. And so, you know, it is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable to expand outside of that because you think that it's different. You think that it is otherly, but to put it in an otherly way means that we were never here. So that also means that you never saw us. And so diversifying means that you now see us, that we are represented the way we are represented out in the world. And so I feel like as an actor now, your responsibility as an actor, especially as a white actor, is um, to really expand your world. Go out of your way to find experiences and things that are outside of your world. You know, it's called Black Entertainment Television, BET, but it doesn't mean it's just for Black people. Everybody can watch. You know, there's some good shows on there. There are great shows on Netflix that rep movies that represent the entire black diaspora. There are incredible shows that reflect different religions. You know, if you are a Hulu and you're not watching Raimi, you're missing out. Like all of those. I mean, come on. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, all of those things. So I feel like in this world right now, as an actor, especially also if you're an actor writer, it is your job and your responsibility to go out of your way to experience and get uncomfortable in other people's world. Or to not be afraid to go into them. Um, this idea that coming back to how I was raised, we would go to the Vietnamese restaurant, we'd go to the, you know, the new year celebration for this or that, there wasn't anything wrong with stepping outside of our zone. Hmm. And that being a celebration instead of something that you had to be afraid of. And I, and as more stories are coming out and we are starting to see this like change and opening of opportunities, it's like, well, now cool. Cause now I get to learn about how this culture deals with this thing and how fun and universal and exciting that is, but also how specific and worthy of celebration that is. We don't have to like blend it all down into one version. We can see the color and be excited about that. Continuing this conversation of exposing ourselves because you're right, that is absolutely our job to expand our freaking horizons. And it's also the best job in the world. So like how lucky are we that this is what we get to do. So in continuing this conversation of how we become allies, especially for my white actors who are listening, especially for, you know, anyone of any different place who maybe hasn't experienced a lot of other cultures, a lot of other people, how do we continue to be allies as, as we continue our work as COVID hopefully fucking God goes away soon? How do we continue to be allies for everyone? Are we talking just about acting or in general? Yeah, we can, we can, uh, we can stick to acting. Well, I would say there are a few different ways because um, this is, you know, it's on different levels. So I would say if you're an actor, yes, consent, continue expanding your experience. If you are an actor that likes to create, um, try to create with people that have a different experience than you have. 
you know, that are from a different world that, you know, I, I have a lot of friends and they tend to work with the same people all the time. And it's like, hey, I'm over here. You can work with me too. I have a different experience. You know, so maybe when you are creating, that is something you should put forward. Like, how is what I'm creating different? How can I provide a different point of view in it? Um, because I feel like you can't write for a different point of view if you've never experienced it. Um, and so if you are expanding into the world of, of, of writing and producing and directing, you know, on top of being an actor, then it is your job to really go and seek that out and seek people in your sphere that support that, that provide you with, with, with ideas and experiences that are outside of your own and that challenge your viewpoint all the time. Um, and if you are not doing that and you are listening to this podcast right now and you know that like your four closest friends are all white guys, then just know you have a problem. <laughs> you got a problem and you got to find a way to fix that. I think there's something also nice in terms of like how I, the next time I go onto a set that I can create space for someone else to have their needs addressed in case like there's a problem with something to be able to vocally say, oh, you know what? I haven't seen that thing yet. Do we have that yet? Like just to be able to, to show up for other people and make sure that they're being, they're being seen too is nice. Um, if someone feels like they're looking uncomfortable because of something that maybe has been presented that might be a little off color or may seem like it's like light racist or like there's a little aggression there, stand up for them as well you know, be the voice, be the voice to the people that are marginalized around you and use whatever power you have in that space to try and advocate for them. Yeah. And that's another way to, that's, that's the true thing. It's like saying, I will try and make sure that you walk into the room with the same privileges that I do. Yes. Using your voice. I mean, that's the most powerful tool that you have. And it's interesting, like a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, I saw, I, I unfortunately can't remember the casting director's (laughs) name, but a casting director tweeted that she was casting something and one of the producers came back and was like, this is a little too diverse. She wanted to switch out a role because she felt like the cast was getting too diverse and she didn't push back and she felt guilty for not pushing back. And so I thought that was an interesting tweet because I feel like, well, now you're that little influence that you have in that lane as being a casting director. Well, now that you know that, now that that felt weird to you, now coming back into production, that is something that you can push. Like if, it, if the person is right, it doesn't matter if it's diverse. If they have, the, like Brie was saying, if they have the essence of the character, then as a casting director, you know, we hear about casting people advocate for people all the time. Yeah. You know, but that also could have been something that she could have advocated that could have changed that person's life, you know, about the fact that this particular producer was like, oh, they're, I don't want to go diverse. And they didn't, in the tweet, they didn't say which, you know, ethnicity the person was, but that could have been a life-changing moment for that person. And so I say at every level you have, you know, in this industry, you have that sort of access and opportunity um, to really 
set the standard, make move the move the the needle a little bit more. And I think if everybody does their part and pulls their weight, um, then that can really happen. We're all richer um, for it. I had a friend in casting ask me, she's like, what can I do? And I was like, you are in a very unique position as a person who helps to bring people into the room. You can normalize what type of roles people see a race connected to by yeah. changing who gets brought in for that character. What a fantastic place to be in. If you are a creator out in the world as an, a writer, actor, producer, who you bring in for a particular role and what kind of thing they're seen for might change someone else's view five, 10 years down the line when they start to see this, see that actually done in a theater or they see that character now on stage. Um, even where you get your talent from, are you only going to certain schools or are you looking outside of those usual pathways to our industry to say, I really love this person's rough tumble, you know, like there's recognize that you are in a fantastic position just for the fact that you can call someone up, come get your camera, come get your, you know, your boom mic that has a little like fuzzy thing over it and let's go <laughs> make something and maybe change who gets put into that role. Yeah, and in expanding your view, it leads to stuff like, you know, as a writer, not just going to those, like Bree said, those typical go-tos for certain characters, because that's really just lazy writing. You know, you have an opportunity to build a world for someone that that world may not have necessarily been built for. Um, and, and maybe so, and builds a complexity to that person as well, yes. so that they're not always just coming in with a one-dimensional point of view or pathway to it, that they can be just as messy and vulnerable and take all those years of liberal arts schooling and put it into the mix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because if you're a writer and, you know, you may not even, you know, some writers may not even notice that they've probably relegated a lot of their... Um, a co-star or supporting roles to to of color characters that are really uplifting maybe the the main white character and and that's an issue because you haven't you've had these people help push the story along but they don't have their own story or their own voice in the store in the larger scale of the story and Where's so family <laughs> yeah what's 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 their life like like i would like to i would you know like if I'm looking at a script, like that's intriguing to me. If you have developed something for me in that sense. And, you know, there are still actors who are out there seeking that type of work, you know, who work way more than me or Brie. And there's still, there are known people that are still seeking out that type of work because it's hard. Um, and so I think uh, there are just every step of the way things that people can be doing even as an actor of color, I feel like at this point, our job is to, I feel like our job is to say no than, more than we used to. Mm. I think no is very powerful. That's um, that space. That's when yeah. you create space for other people, yeah. And mm -hmm. I think that um, we have often, even as, as actors in general, we haven't felt like we had the power to say no. And it's such Ooh. a powerful thing because mm -hmm. um, I heard this phrase the other day. If you, those who you allow to define you will confine you. 
And so if you are a person of color and you feel like you've been defined by a particular role, you know, a particular lane, then, you know, it may be the time where you have to say no. I was thinking about the space of saying no. One, in the idea that like, you can say, I'm gonna say no, because there's no reason that you actually can't find an actor who does have this ailment instead of me needing to bring that on. It's not an ailment, but like, why not get the person who actually is dealing with this thing if you actually wanna put this into a character? So I'll say no to that. But also as a black woman, I can say no, when you bring me a stereotypical character, I'm not gonna be a part of it. You don't need me to bring myself into that. You have enough of that. It's out in the world, that story has been told. I challenge you by saying no to try and do something better with this character, to not make it as lazy. And I, that's the kind of no that I've, I really enjoy writing. I'm like, in, oh, because I, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean maybe as a woman, you're also looking at it like, how many times do I need to see this girl who's gonna stab somebody in the back or sleep with someone else's this or that, or who's always gonna try and be tearing down this. We all can be put into these unfortunate boxes. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm good. Bring it to somebody else. Right. Try that one more time. Or one time I was going in on something and they had a character and they were a man. And I was like, have you ever thought about maybe having this character be a woman? Or like, I'd love to, to share this because I, I feel like you have so many great things that are in the essence of this person that I can like, I can really rock with. Do they have to be this? Do they have to be under that? you know, descriptor. So how do we push? How do you push? You know, I had a, a conversation earlier today about something different, but I think it all stems from the same. A friend of mine, we're talking, she grew up in California. I grew up in like farm towns in the Midwest. That's why I know those Midwest commercials so well. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we were talking about how our exposure to diversity was so different. Like, I, the, and the, and the little that I had was from the, the, the programs that I got to watch from TV, from movies. And what was offered was piss poor in terms of seeing anything other than myself, like reflected back to me. So I think that really brings it, you know, from our, you know, the, the, the rooms we get to go into those rooms eventually turn into children's living rooms. Mm -hmm. But how exciting when you think about like, I mean, Disney's doing what they can as far as like their young children's programming. A lot of the shows, what all of a sudden they, the characters are all like so big and presentational and you know, it was like, Wah. but then I think about like all that on Nickelodeon was this really exciting sketch show. Obsessed with that show. Kind of kids. Like what? That actually existed. And why did it go away? Why didn't we keep seeing more shows that had that level of blend to them? Why was there like, or think about like all the shows from like the, it was like UPN in the nineties. There was a time when there were plenty of shows that were out there that had all kinds of black women and black people. And, and then we only like, then something goes away and maybe the, maybe the head of that studio changed. And now all of a sudden that wasn't the mandate for what they wanted to make anymore. And then you only get fresh off the boat 12 years from then. Why are there these gaps of forwardness when it comes to like what stories get told? I love getting to see that kind of stuff. I'm happy to see like Rami. I'm happy to see, uh, you know, the Watchmen and see these blended 
really delicious casts that have all kinds of people in them. But what happened to UPN? Where did it go? <laughs> it just kind of went into the ether. Went into really the ether, question. disappeared. <laughs> but all that, can we talk about all that for a second? Like for oh, the sketch comedians, awesome. like sketch folks out there, that was a, that was a moment. That was a whole moment. I, did, did you think that watching that side of the, like when you were growing up or I'm not sure where you were in the scheme of things, but to know that there was a space for black people in comedy that was that different, I don't, especially for the like the side of you that was so much involved in sketch comedy. I'm just, yeah, I, I mean, there. I don't know. I, I totally, I mean, in the, in the comedy world, I feel like it's even wider <laughs> than other parts of the industry. You know, a lot of it is, you know, which we're finding out through, if you guys have been, you know, listening to the news and Twitter with all of these com comedians being um, addressed as being misogynistic, you know, that world is very, uh, you know, middle-aged, white male dominated. And so in the comedy world to see, um, to see anything that's diverse, it feels um, kind of like a unicorn. And it feels like even more of a unicorn for it to su be successful. And then even more of a unicorn to actually like survive. Mm. Like, you know, it's just, it feels like it just levels after level. So yeah, seeing that show for me, it was like, oh, Oh, we could do this and that would be fun and it's you know everybody is represented and um it's just not coming from one perspective um so yeah i would say my experience in like doing sketch comedy for for eight years going you guys didn't ask but i'm gonna go back to that um you know it was oh, i for eight years experience being pretty much the only black sketch group um and really not knowing any other sketch groups of color now i know the landscape has changed a lot especially here in los angeles but at that time there weren't a lot of you know people represented um at the places at like ucb and at uh groundlings and io west and you know at the time we were invited to a lot of those places to perform and but it never felt like there was an actual space for us. That's that accommodation thing where it's like, oh, yes, come in, come in, come in. Yes. But let me make it really awkward for you to be here the entire time. Yes, yes. And so I think there's still a lot of work left to be done in those areas. Because when you look at specifically the comedy world, um, if you look at Black actors and white actors, um, most black actors or actors or actors of color, the, their entrance to the world of comedy is through stand-up. As a white actor actress, you have many entryways. You could do sketch, you could do improv. And those channels, they're kind of made to where you can actually get very far. But for a lot of black people, that's not always the lane that we're put in. Like, if you're not a stand-up, 
or have any leanings towards being a stand-up comedian, well, then it's, there's almost this weird question of, well, are you, or do you have any com comedic sensibility? Like, are you funny? You know, if you, if you list all of the people right now that are, that Black women that are famous for being, for comedy, most of them come from a stand-up perspective. Yeah. You know, um, I could list way more that come that where they're all over the place, where they started in improv or they started in sketch or they started in stand up. So to me, in that world, in comedy, there is definitely a lot more um, diversifying that needs to happen. You know, going back to what Brie was saying about going to auditions and the difference in comedic tone. Like, I wanted to piggyback on that. It's like going to a general McDonald's audition and going to a McDonald's <laughs> audition that's specifically for the black market. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, and so <laughs> I, I, I think what um, the industry sometimes for me doesn't tend to get is that, um, you know, a lot of people of color are... are not only they're yeah. all not only talented but there's so much diversity there because we have always had to quote unquote code switch and go between worlds and so i think as people tend to start to take advantage of our talent and and stop looking at us from like this narrow view then content will become so much bigger and greater and better because there are so many people of so many different colors that are doing so many things outside of their lane that needs to be paid attention to. Mm. Yes. I, I always like when I walk into like one of the audition spaces and I'm like, well, it's black people here for what is what? What's the, Oh, I didn't get on that one. Damn. But you can tell when it was like, oh, they only brought this group in for this audition. And I think also for someone who has done a lot of comedy stuff, I end up in these in these different pockets of competition with women who don't look like me, but we're yes. all carrying the same kind of energy. So I walk in and I have an actress that I call my nemesis because we're always up for the same thing. But if you put us on paper, we look nothing alike. But at the same time, we're basically playing the same version of each other in different commercials. That damn. <laughs> so happy for her. She got it. I'm so happy for her. But you know, like, it's funny what ends up being like, who are the others? And recently now, because we've been in this Rona, you go into these virtual waiting rooms before your auditions. And I haven't done many of these, but the one time I did, I had a callback and they put us in the waiting room. So I'm now looking at the other actresses who were also up for this role. And then when it was time for me, I clicked off and went over to the other one and actually like went into my audition with the director and the casting. And the ladies that were in the room, it wasn't because they didn't, we had one of this age and this type and curly hair and then flat that. And it was so blended and funny. But it, it, there's something about the, that opportunity, maybe it was also that brand that said, I wanna try and do this. And then you're gonna get this, some of them, they're gonna say, I need the blackest people that you can find. I want a couple who has a this and I need the girl to turn her neck. And they're gonna all go into that one audition and that'll be that one thing that they wanna show. It's, we're not gonna get to see that much because we're not all going to like the same offices to like hang out all day and say what's up, but it's, very telling when you walk in and you see 
speak with all these people come how come oh you know <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> but you know gotta pay the bills business remember show business <laughs> okay. that's right, right. First of all, thank you guys for being so open and, and honest with me. They, you know, have a lot to learn and I have, I'm really, really happy to, to know both of you. And I'm really excited to, I just want to, I just want to fucking act with everyone. I don't like, I just, <laughs> new, fan I alert, new fan that's, alert, new fan alert. Yeah. I'm a stalker too. Buckle up. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, I'm going to round us out here. I just want, if you guys want to, um, drop anything else before we go about, you know, how, how has this, the emphasis on Black Lives Matter, the emphasis on racist education, you know, us learning about intrinsic racism, how has this changed you while you're at home right now? Or how has this changed your outlook on the potential for your future? Ooh, Brie, I'm gonna let you take that first. And as far as like the, the push on education when it comes around systemic racism let's go because my life has been an education and i'm thankful that a lot of my experiences have not been on the level of some of the people who are unable to be in the world right now because they were cut short but these little things are affecting everybody and why not be aware of it so that you can call it out push for it to not be there and maybe change how the next generation goes into this world and gets seen in this world or judged for how they look. I hope that it will, it will bring even the tiniest inkling of exposure to more women of color as far as the industry goes. Um, last year in October, shortly after meeting Saudia, I started a group on Facebook for actresses to come together, private group, because there's very different experiences for us as Black actresses, African-American actresses, diaspora of Blackness, um, that maybe you want a little space to just chop it up in. And it turned into both being a space for that, sometimes to complain, sometimes to uplift, just to like come and like have some solace in the room. And I made that into a directory. And when I started seeing people talk about how they are so much in support of this and that, and I'm like, well, how many actresses do you actually know? How you actually, do you have a roster that you can like go to and say, I wanna bring in this new talent? Most people don't. So I figured I'm gonna start this thing so that way I'm gonna help you get further. If they really do matter, here you go. Here's 200 <laughs> women who are ready and trained and all around the country who can show up in these roles and, and they can be the wives and the girlfriends, but they can also be the sci-fi fan and the horseback rider and the doctor, you know? So I think that's, I'm looking forward to seeing how we actually can keep showing up for bringing different versions of people to the screen. And I love that there are all these directories that are coming up as far as black people in film, in design, and they're saying, we're here. So let it not be an excuse to you that you can't find us. I'm gonna make it real easy. Mm. <laughs> Let's go, keep it forward. Hit the Absolutely. popcorn. Let's go. You know? <laughs> like, Absolutely. Yeah. I feel the same way. Like I, you know, honestly, um, when George Floyd died, um, I, I, right after I had a series of emotions. Um, and I would say the first one was anger, obviously, um, anger for what happened, anger 
that this, it took this moment for people to realize, oh, systemic racism exists, you know, but I can't sit in that moment. We have to move forward from that. And so I'm really glad to see people taking whatever steps they can take, whether it be small or big, to self-educate, because I think this is what is going to be the most powerful tool moving forward is to educate yourself as much as possible on the history of the United States um, and how we got here where we are. Um, and that is, I feel like the number one thing, going back to your question about being an ally, that is the number one thing I think is of utmost importance. Um, read every book you can, read as much history as you can if you feel like you don't know, because unfortunately, um, you didn't get it. You we, didn't, you didn't get, get it. School. You didn't get it in school. <laughs> we didn't get it in school. Um, yeah. As a wife to a black man, as a mother to a black daughter, um, it has really struck me in a sense for my daughter to try and make sure that the world is better for her. And so I feel like if you are a parent listening to this, then your other number one job is to raise an ally and to make sure that, you know, <laughs> from the them job. being small, because, you know, the absence of color in a young person's life um, is just as detrimental as you being racist towards someone. So make sure that you, the quality of life you're providing for your child offers th them um, opportunities to explore other cultures, other people, to be around those people, to understand them, to know them, to not be afraid of them. Um, and for me, for my daughter, is to give her love and to not only unfortunately warn her of the world that of, of racism because it might happen to her, but also to provide her hope that by the time she gets older, hopefully things will be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, as a daughter of a mom who went to an, uh, who went to an integrated school and who lived through MLK's assassination, um, knowing how that had a experience, how that experience changed her and her education. Um, and now seeing me and now seeing my daughter, um, I think we just don't want another generation to go through this. And so if, if there is any way that we can support that, um, then I think we should do it. And that's going to take a lot of work. Most of that work is through education. So get to reading, you guys. Yeah. Get to knowing, get to talking, get to listening. <laughs> I was listening to um, Rufus. I, had my, I pulled out the record player. Everyone, everything's going very <laughs> undigital these days. People are like, they're, they're cooking bread, they're sewing. Um, so I was listening to this record, and one of the lyrics is, even a blind man can feel the sun. And I feel like, Right now, we are all out here, some, of, some less than others, but like for the most part, we're finding our way through this thing. And it's dark, but you can feel the sun. You know what it looks like when it's starting to go right. So just keep feeling that heat, you know? Be out there, safely, six feet. Wear your mask on. Don't wear a mask. Please wear your mask. Ladies, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Will you guys both tell us where people can follow you, where they can find you? Um, Brie, if you want to share your Facebook group for any of our listeners who might yes. be interested. Um, the group is private, mm -hmm. but if 
that we're launching with the, the site for the directory, it's going to be hereandready.com. Okay. Um, if that changes up later, just depending on like who's taking what titles and stuff, I'll of course send them to you, Sam, so you can update the, the future. Okay. I'm on Instagram at, at Brie Ely, B R I E E L E Y, and my Twitter is at as in the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming. <laughs> so that's me. Yes. Say hello. <laughs> um, you can find me at, on Instagram at Saudia Rashid. That is uh, S-A-U-D-I-A-R-E-S-H-E-D. People always ask how my first name is spelled. Um, so Saudia, like the country with an A at the end. Um, also Twitter, same handle. And if you're interested in my podcast, you can go <laughs> on Instagram to that one blank friend. Um, I'm also on Twitter. I'm not going to give that out now because I honestly have not tweeted that much about my, podcast. Uh, but I'm on Instagram all the time. Oh, um, I love to tweet. <laughs> so yeah. Or also just go to Apple podcasts and just click on it and subscribe. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank, Thank you for you, talking Sam. to me. Thank you so much for this opportunity. You guys are awesome. I'm so excited I know you. Here we go. <laughs> New friend Stalk us all you want. <laughs> all right, guys. That brings us to the end of today's podcast and the end of season six. Sadia, Bree, thank you so much for being so open and honest with us. I know a lot of actors will take a lot out of this podcast. Guys, we got a lot of work to do. Good thing we have homework assignments. You know what I'm saying? Thank you so much for sticking along for this whole season. I hope I have been a light in your day in this crazy freaking time. I really hope that we can all continue to learn and grow from each other. You know that this channel will always be open and always have more content, as will OneBrokeActress.com and as will the Instagram at OneBrokeActress. Thank you guys so much for being a part of my day-to-day. -day. It's, uh, it's been a doozy. I love you guys so, so much. Okay, let's end all this happiness and get straight to it. This podcast was created and hosted by myself, Sam Valentine, with production help from Laurel Canning Creative and Helena Santos. Your theme song is by the ever-so-immaculate Maggie Zabo, and I will talk to you guys really soon. Really soon.